Michael E. Gerber, the author of The E-Myth Revisited, aptly names the expression an entrepreneurial spasm to describe the reason behind many so-called entrepreneurs entering the business fray. They experience one or two bursts of demand for their product or service and interpret this as actually a market signal. The most common source of these signals is the individual's friends and family who may, out of some sort of loyalty, provide the first order or orders for the product or service. They might even overpay. Hi, I'm Gareth Armstrong, and you're listening to a Razor's Edge podcast. This series is all about learning from the lessons of others. More specifically, learning from the successes and failures that Alon Reyes, CEO of Racecorp, has experienced over the last 20 years. In the first episode of the series, Alon helped us examine ourselves against the question, am I really an entrepreneur? He asked some tough questions and helped us identify where on the entrepreneurial path we really are. In the second episode, Alon is again asking tough questions as he challenges us to more fully qualify the market we are targeting. This is a series filled with insights from a seasoned entrepreneur and it is well worth having a pen and dedicated notebook to record your thoughts and impressions in. Let's rejoin Alon as he describes his experience of his own spasm or two that kicked off his entrepreneurial journey. The second important lesson I've learned over the last 20 years as an entrepreneur is to make heck of a sure that there is a market. Us entrepreneurs like to twist reality and uh, see things that are possibly not there and think that they are there because it suits the narrative in our mind. And one of the places that we do this most is to assume a market tell everyone there is a huge market when in fact that market consists of uh, a couple of conversations where people said perhaps they might take up your product if they have the budget. And then when you approach them, once you've started your business, the responses are, well, I've just used my budget. Mm, That looks a bit too expensive. That's not exactly what I wanted. And these entrepreneurs start businesses based on a false understanding of whether or not there is a market. I'm always nervous about calling this a lesson learned because we also know of many stories where people go out into a market, an unknown market, and create the market. And there isn't really a market. And the job of the entrepreneur is to create that market. People have heard the quote by Ford who said, you know, if I asked people uh, what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. So spending days and weeks and months doing research to find out that people don't want your product is also often incorrect. I remember many years ago in my first entrepreneurial endeavor, which was called the New York Sausage Factory, I did market research to find out if people liked my sausages, so to speak. And I had developed these 12 different types of hot dogs or sausages that were put into buns. And I had this little stall and I gave away these tasters and asked people if they liked it. And they were nodding away as they sort of took four or five other toothpicks with sausages attached to them, thinking that they probably hit a windfall. 
in having somebody else pay for their lunch. But I took this as a young entrepreneur as a, a positive side. People loved my hot dogs. And of course, my first foray into the New York sausage factory was uh, only to find that they didn't love them that much, that they would come in again and again and make me incredibly successful. In fact, my first hot dog retail store was an absolute failure. I did the market research, but it was bullshit market research. I find it quite refreshing when a successful entrepreneur like Alon is able to reflect back and admit that they also made the mistake they see so many others doing. And not just, uh, yes, I made the mistake, but rather going into detail the way that he has. It tells me he has really taken the time to reflect and so has learned the lesson. For our benefit and reflection, here's the question for your notebook. Am I relying on BS market research to guide my decisions? Perhaps another question to ask, have I overestimated the demand for my product or service? What Alon shares next will help us with this second question. And then the other issue that I see with entrepreneurs is they see a problem that is solved as a market. So they, if they see a lot of people have got a certain issue or a problem, then they see that as a market. I love to use the example of a cold toilet seat. Now, for anyone living in a city or a town where there is a very cold winter, will understand that a cold toilet seat in winter is a problem. And the solution might be a heated toilet seat. And in fact, there are heated toilet seats. But would you be prepared to pay for a heated toilet seat? Coming back to the research, you know, I might ask a whole bunch of my friends and family if they find a cold toilet seat a problem and they most likely will all give me the answer, yes, it is a problem. And so I might go out and start my heated toilet seat business and forgot to ask them how much they would be prepared to pay for that problem to be gone. And so once I dig into the actual cost of production of the, the toilet seat and the cost of operating that toilet seat and the cost of maintaining that toilet seat, etc. Had I asked the question, would you be prepared to pay $200 to solve the problem and another $100 extra on electricity a month and uh, probably another $200 a year on maintenance, would you be prepared to do that per toilet? The answer would probably be no. How I've done my research and what questions I've asked determines whether or not this is a good idea or not. But most entrepreneurs actually govern the, the shape of the questions to enforce their self-belief in a certain product. Bullshit market research. Isn't it amazing how often we've heard someone on a stage somewhere or someone else being interviewed on the radio describe the first step towards success being finding a problem to solve? I so appreciate how Alon rejects this oversimplification and gives us the meat of the matter. Will this potential market with a problem become a real paying market if the problem has been solved for them? But it would be another oversimplification on our part if we stopped here. Let's continue by adding another layer to the discussion and let's talk about the cost of educating our chosen market. Let's also cover the concept that I spoke about before where I'm a little nervous to say that 
you always need to do market research. As I've mentioned before in this podcast, the quote by Ford around, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. A big part of actually bringing a product to market is educating that market about your new product or service. And we see throughout the academia, the stories about many entrepreneurs that uh, were first to market with a product and spent years and years educating the market only to be usurped by the company that came in second or third into the market. The market was educated and uh, that was at a huge cost to the pioneer in the industry who had educated that market. The second or third entrant into the market was watching very carefully as to the mistakes that the pioneer made and then solved those problems in the background and then entered the market second or third. A very famous example of this is the iPad, which was actually initially the pioneers were a company called Gridpad. I think it was 1989 that that was produced and Jobs only brought the iPad into being uh, many, many years later. But Steve Jobs and Apple was not the pioneer of the iPad concept. They had just made it sexy, had learned from Gridpad's mistakes, and then had done a much better job in design and in marketing that product. Let's now add the additional layers of timing, product features, and distribution channels to the discussion. If you look at all industries throughout history, there is always a scramble in a new technology for the dominant players. Very often you will see that there are literally hundreds and hundreds of entrants into a market. There's then a consolidation phase, and then there is the big five or so companies that dominate that space. You saw that in the motor industry in in the early 1900s when the motor car came out, there were new companies were entering the market in the hundreds around the US and Europe at the time. That certainly consolidated. There was multiple technologies from steam engines to uh, the petrol engine to the diesel engine to the electric, actually the electric engine at the time in the early 1900s. And then the market settles. It decides what are the standards for that industry. And then you get the dominant companies that emerge. And most often they are not the pioneers in the industry. So am I going to be one of those companies that enters the market and then disappears? Or do I have something really that gives our business longevity? Or is it just a feature that is different to everyone else? And that's a mistake that many businesses make when entering a market is they've got one single feature that differentiates them from their competitors. And as soon as they they enter the market, that feature is now known. And without a doubt, the competitors will copy that or emulate that in some way, and that feature becomes null and void. So it really becomes around distribution and getting distribution channels out there very quickly. So to me, if you can enter a market with more than just a feature, 
and you are able to get distribution, you are able to get your product or service out there relatively quickly and protect your distribution channels, then that would be the right timing. If you come into a market that's super mature and once again you come out with a feature, your feature will be copied almost immediately, but they have the additional benefit of, of having very mature distribution channels and routes to market. So you not only have the problem of now trying to defend your single feature, but you also have the concurrent problem of trying to now enter mature distribution channels. So an example of that would be, let's say you come out with a fancy new TV brand and all the current TV manufacturers have got distributors across the globe. They've got manufacturers in different parts of the world. So they, their input costs are, are lower than yours. Their distribution channels are set. If they come up with a new product, it's simply a launch to their, their market their distribution channels, which goes into all the retailers or whatever their distribution channels are, and then a whole bunch of television adverts to create demand. You coming in, you don't have the distribution channels that they have, you don't have the economies of scale in terms of componentry, and you've got this one single feature which really will maybe find a handful of people who are interested in that feature, and before you know it, it'll become standard in the next uh, iteration of your competitors' TVs. Let's recap before we hear a final thought or two from Milan. Am I, are you, relying on BS research to qualify our push into a market? Have we overestimated the size and interest of our potential market? Is our market willing to pay the right amount for the identified problem to be solved? What is the full cost of production? Have we considered all of the costs of taking our product to market? Has our market been educated or do we need to do the educating? Is our timing right? Are we sufficiently competitive? Will we be able to pull clients away from their favorite brands and what will that cost us? And are we in fact able to distribute our product? Hearing all of those questions, I'm sure you'll agree that we're now a long way away from the oversimplifications and potential gut feelings that we ourselves may have fallen prey to in the past. And these questions are really just the beginning. Each of them will have a multitude of others that will help us move forward with clarity and confidence. Now, there's one more thing that Alon hears from almost every entrepreneur that pitches to him. And as we were recording this, I couldn't hide my blushes as I reflected back on my early days in business, saying exactly the same thing to another mentor of mine who was willing to hear my pitch at the time. So I think my last point is the statement, if I just get 5%. Many entrepreneurs who come to RaceCorp for investment in our partner elite division will pitch to me and say the market size is you know, 100 million or 100 billion or 100 gazillion. And then the next sentence is, and if we just get 5% of that market, then dot, dot, dot. And at that point, you switch off because the incumbents in the market are not going to give up that 5% without a fight. It's very difficult to get 5% of a market. It sounds like a small number. It really, really does. 
but it actually is much more difficult than people think. So before you go out there to pitch your fancy idea to an investor, do yourself a favor and try and understand what 5% of your market really is in terms of numbers, what it would take in order to actually achieve those numbers from a cost point of view in to, for production. In other, in other words, the working capital to actually build that many units. And then how many distributors, how many clients you would need in order to actually purchase 5%. And then the cost of acquisition of those clients. When you add that all up, it will most certainly be way more than the investor is prepared to put into the business. So don't fall into the trap of saying, if I just get 5% of the 100 gazillion market, look how much money we will make. The lesson is really to think about when you enter a market, that you enter a market that is sustainable with more than a single feature that differentiates you. And the cost of entering that market is achievable. If that is the case, if you have more than a single feature in a market that is sustainable, in other words, that market is big enough and very importantly, prepared to pay for the difference between you and your competitor, then you have a business that's worth investing in. However, even if two of those boxes are ticked, do not enter the market. Well, it can't get more definitive than that. Head over to raisecorp.com where you'll find similar resources there. You'll also find the opportunity to sign up for notifications to stay updated on more releases just like this one. In addition to this, follow Racecorp on your favorite social media platforms where you'll be updated on when the next episode in this series is released. My name is Gareth Armstrong, and I'll see you in lesson number three.